Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. WITF and the Harrisburg Regional Chamber and Capital Regional Economic Development Corporation are teaming up to present a series of candidate debates before Pennsylvania's April 26th primary election. Today, we host the two Republican candidates running for the state Senate in the 15th District. The 15th District encompasses part of Dauphin County and all of Perry County. Joining us today are John DeSanto and Andrew Lewis. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Scott. We are not taking phone calls uh, during today's program. The debate will follow the normal smart talk conversational format. Two exceptions, though. The candidates will get 30 seconds to introduce themselves, talk a little bit about their background, and then 60 seconds each for closing statements. As I mentioned, we won't be taking phone calls during the program. WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Office of Saul Ewing, LLP. All right, let's start and kind of do this alphabetically uh, at the beginning. John DeSanto, uh, about 30 seconds. uh, uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Thanks for having me, Scott. 56 years old, lifelong resident of Dauphin County, business owner for 35 years, been spending my time uh, building, creating jobs, being involved in the fabric of the community on the uh, nonprofit side, philanthropic, charitable, and so on, and uh, made my life and my career here in central Pennsylvania, trying to get elected to the Senate to make a positive impact on state government. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mr. Lewis? Good morning, everybody, and good morning, Scott. I want to just express gratitude to the Harrisburg Chamber and WITF for sponsoring the debate. My name is Andrew Lewis. Uh, I run a small business with my brothers in Lower Paxton Township. I'm a combat veteran, having served nine and a half years in the Army, and I'm raising a family in New Bloomfield. My wife, Renee, and I have been married almost seven years, and we have three boys. And I'm running for the state Senate because I want to see Pennsylvania open back up for business, and I want to bring jobs, families, and people back to the Keystone State. And we're going to talk about all those things and the issues throughout the hour. We're going to try to cover as much material as we can. But I want to start with a broad question. And Andrew Lewis, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, what are the issues that you are hearing from the constituents, the people of the 15th District, that they're most concerned with? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, I've been knocking on a lot of doors uh, throughout this campaign, talking to quite a few voters. And I will say the number one issue right now seems to be the budget. People are very concerned that uh, it seems that government's not doing its job. The uh, governor has demanded this tax increase. That's the number one highest increase in the history of the Commonwealth, and people are very frustrated with that. You know, Pennsylvania has the second highest corporate net income tax rate in the country. We have some of the highest tax rates overall, and you're talking about insisting on raising those tax rates even more and then seeing a nine-month budget impasse, and that's really what has frustrated people. You know, we send legislature, the legislature as well as uh, the governor to office for really one central reason, and that is pass a, a good budget. And uh, not having had one for nine months, and we finally have one going into effect now, um, has been a, a key source of frustration for the voters. Mm-hmm. John DeSanto? I think the budget's a big issue as well, but I'm really finding out that people are just fed up with government in general, the inability to get things done, move the ball down the road. Uh, even though we do have a budget, the budget was uh, passed or accepted, I guess, because the governor did not sign it. And he's just shown a complete lack of leadership in trying to act as a chief executive officer of the state. I also 
property taxes are a huge concern of the constituency in both Dauphin and Perry County. It's affecting people very negatively. And I think that people want to see the tone of government change to, obviously, there's different political philosophies, but they want to see collaborative effort. They want to see things get done, and they definitely do not want to pay any more taxes. I want to talk about the tax issue in just a moment, but you mentioned... John DeSanto, you mentioned uh, government not working, Mm. and uh, you talked about that people would like to see a change in the tone. Mm. But when you say government's not working, part of the reason it's not working is because there is this great partisan divide between Republicans and uh, Governor Wolf. So if you are elected to the Senate, what do you do to reach across the aisle? I mean, are you willing to compromise on issues? Well, I think that, you know, uh, if you look at the budget issue as an example, the House of Representatives did not pass the budget and force the governor to fold and accept the budget. And, and I think that you can't compromise on certain issues. I think it's a matter of education. I think that the voters have to educate the legislature in some aspects because they are sick of paying taxes. They're sick of being told what to do by the government. And as in the, being in the Senate... I will try to represent the voters' voice and move this debate forward that we need less government, we need to spend less money, and stop worrying about getting elected or reelected. represent the people's interests. Okay, but tell me about tone, though. Mm-hmm. You, you said that there are some issues you don't compromise on. What are some issues that you would compromise on? Well, I think there's a number of issues, and I think the, a problem is a lot of the late legislators do not have the fiscal knowledge to even understand the issues that they're saving, they're, that they're trying to work on. I could bring 35 years of business experience with labor negotiations, complex real estate deals, complex financing um, deals, multi-state issues, and I hope that that ability to discuss these issues in a reasonable manner from a basis of knowledge and experience will help shift some legislators' opinion that they are more comfortable in making the right decision as opposed to making what the political decision is. Governor Wolf had a similar background. Hmm. How are you different than Governor Wolf? Well, you know, I don't know Governor Wolf personally. I know a number of people that know him. And as I understand, you know, his business uh, was a large family business. He really wasn't an active in it and that they had professional managers running the business. And he promotes himself as a businessman. But I don't really believe he has hard business experience. I mean, he's been in government quite a bit. He was uh, Rendell's revenue secretary. So I, I, I can't speak directly, but I don't really see him as a fully functioning CEO with a lot of business experience. Andrew Lewis? Sure. Yeah. So just to kind of comment on this, the the key problem we have in Harrisburg is people don't, they can't work together and build coalitions and actually accomplish universal objectives. And as someone who has led not only in business, but in the military as well, you know, and I tell people and I tell the voters, you know, in, in the army and in Fallujah, we didn't have Democrats, we didn't have Republicans. You had a mission, you had a team, and you got the mission done. And so I'm very accustomed to working across a, a diverse slate of, of um team members and accomplishing a universal objective. And I look forward to bringing those leadership skills to the Senate. Uh, And I think one area that we all can build consensus on across party lines is the pension crisis. I mean, that's something that we all can agree that needs to be fixed. Not only is the pension system on track to cost us just this incredible amount of money, but it's it's unfunded to the tune of about $60 billion. And these these are key areas where pension reform is, is one. I mean, I think we can work across party lines and actually 
accomplish something. But again, this tone that you you addressed is just awful. I mean, even when Governor Wolf um, continued to veto the budget, three different budgets get sent to his desk, and he comes out and continues to call names to the legislature, you know, just totally discounting the fact that every single person in the legislature also received an electoral mandate, that they, they were speaking for their constituents. And uh, I just think that type of tone coming in is just toxic and has created a toxicity in Harrisburg that is detrimental to good governance. And I look forward to bringing this, you know, a leadership background in the, that I learned in the military and have fine-tuned in business and bringing that and building coalitions, building teams, bringing people together and getting uh, the mission accomplished, which number one on my priority list is pension reform. We have to fix and address the pension crisis in Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm going to ask both of you this question. What do you support as far as fixing the pension system? Yeah, so last year, uh, Senate Bill 1 was passed, and it kind of created this two-tiered system, which was partially defined benefit, partially defined contribution, and it made the pension program kind of less susceptible to fluctuations in the marketplace, and it would have saved quite a bit of money. Um, and that's that's a good plan. I think it's a step in the right direction. Ultimately, I want to see pensions um, be converted over to a 401k-style system. Now, I want to just quick caveat this, though. You have to protect the pensions of current retirees. Well, you have no choice. Exactly. The Constitution says yes. that. And there's a, a number of case law, uh, or quite a bit of case law, that, that sets that precedent. You can't take away those, those pensions. And furthermore, I believe you need to take it a step further, protect the pensions of current employees. If you signed up today, we should not be changing your pension tomorrow because we made a deal with you. That being said, moving forward for future employees of the state, we absolutely must address the pension uh, program, reform it. I think we need to shift to a defined contribution 401k style plan, which is what we have in the private sector. I think that's only fair, and it's something that's going to drive down a lot of spending, and, and especially with school districts. It will have a ripple effect. It'll even help us out with property taxes. So pension, that's kind of how I would approach the pension crisis. John DeSantis, what about pensions? Yeah. I- I generally agree with that, except I think that we can do a much better job managing our money. You know, we're paying north of $750 million a year, I believe, in fees to manage the money. And, I, you know, in the private sector, the ratio that's being paid could be reduced substantially. I think that it's fundamentally unfair to the taxpayers of Pennsylvania. Everybody keeps doesn't want to talk about the taxpayer equation. Yes, we have a contract with current state employees and, you know, the Constitution, I understand that. But there is some discussion if that's going to be challenged. But it's fundamentally unfair to continue to tax taxpayers in addition to make a promise to a small number of Pennsylvania state citizens at work. And I think that nobody's talking about we need to reduce government spending and take that reduction in spending and apply it to the pension debt. Even moving to the new employees, and that's what's so disappointing about this. You know, last year they passed a measure that new employees as of January 1st of this year were supposed to go into the defined contribution, uh, the 401k style, and they didn't enact it. I mean, they won't even do that. That doesn't hurt anybody. So I think you have to get off top dead center and start doing and we have to force cost savings because this $60 billion, no matter what happens, that's here, and that's going to have to be dealt with. Now, what you're talking about, retired state employees yeah. and those in uh, the, the education system in Pennsylvania, but there are many out there who believe that municipal pension problems 
are even worse than what the state has. Uh, a bipartisan group of uh, Democrats, Democratic mayors, chambers of commerce, and uh, the Auditor General, Eugene DePasquale, have been working on change. What are your thoughts about municipal pension? Because, again, there are many townships, boroughs, and especially cities in this state that are really hurting in the, on this issue. No, I agree wholeheartedly. But what you have to understand, is there's a number of municipal pensions that have been handled properly and fully funded and operating well. So it, 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 there's two sides to the coin. And the, the municipal authorities are going to have to deal with their issue just like the state's going to have. If they haven't managed it properly, they've created their own problem. They're going to have to address it at their own level. I, so just to jump in here on municipal pensions, there's a couple of different ideas being floated around. One is a regionalization that would allow different municipalities to consolidate. Another is a kind of a state-managed uh, program, which on, on its face, and at this juncture, I think the state-managed program would be a mistake because first we have to fix SERS and PSERS. First we have to fix the state um, pension crisis. But Essentially, the municipal pension crisis is very real. We have a lot of uh, municipalities unfunded to the tune of 90% unfunded. Well, Scranton is like the poster child for Yes, it. Yeah. which, I mean, we have to address that. You have, um, you know, times when the state does need to step in and make sure that these these municipal workers are going to be able to have a, a retirement that they that they earned. I was talking to a woman named Linda in Lower Paxton Township just a week or two ago, and she told me how she had worked for about 37 years for the state. This is on the state level. And she, at the very end here, when she's retired now, she has to go buy supplemental medical insurance. She's got these extra requirements that she didn't, she was told all this stuff would be covered throughout her entire career. And now at the very end when she's retired, she just wants to focus on visiting grandkids. And now she's worried about savings and medical and all these things. So again, it's, it's imperative that we fix the pension system for these retirees. We absolutely must address for and do this for taxpayers, but keep in mind these public employees are also taxpayers. I, I have questions for each of you sure. from you, the answers that you just gave. Mm -hmm. Andrew Lewis, I'll start with you. You use the word consolidate and municipalities mm -hmm. consolidate. Sure. I just want to be clear here. Are you talking about municipalities consolidating, or are you just talking about consolidating the no, pensions? No, no, no. The pension management, the management okay. of the pension system. All right. Not the, I know there's also initiatives to regionalize police departments and things like that. I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about management of pensions programs um, if municipalities decide to collaborate and, and have kind of a combined right. that, I just system. wanted to sure. make that was clear. Thank you. And John DeSanto, uh, I wanted to ask you, you said about there may be a move to challenge the constitutionality of you know, they can't touch current pensions. Would you support that? Well, I just want to talk about regionalization for a second, because the nature of the Commonwealth, um, you know, with the number of municipalities and townships and, you know, Andrew was saying collaboration. <clears throat> you know, I'd love to see some form of regionalization. Because I think with the fragmentation of the township, you talk about regional, uh, regionalization of police and, you know, in my industry, the building codes, you know, with the townships and so on. It's so fragmented. It's so difficult. It would be great if the state could get on a level of cooperation. But I would not support municipal cooperation on the, on the uh, pension issues without, you know, uh, widening that to other areas that would really benefit the citizens. Okay, I want to now go a little further with that. I want to know what you're talking about here for sure. I mean, when well, you're talking about – that does sound – when you say regionalization, you're not talking about consolidating municipalities, but what, what besides police and, and – 
pensions. What are you talking about? Well, a number of years ago, we did a statewide building code, and there was a lot of work put into that. And then at the, you know, when you went across the finish line, local townships or municipalities, boroughs, whatever, you know, could opt out. So essentially, we have no statewide building code. And Pennsylvania is not that terribly diverse of a geographic area that you can't have a statewide building code. And it's very difficult for people to start businesses and operate businesses when you have to have essentially almost a different business plan to operate in the adjoining townships. There are some townships in this area, uh, in the area that, you know, businesses don't want to operate in because they're hostile to business. Angelos? Yeah. And, and John brings up a good point about trying to work throughout the townships. And that's a building code issue. And I'm, I'm happy to see the steps that were taken with the state building code. But I think the, the solution there is to build on the state building code, make it better and make sure we root out these problems, not not by just consolidating townships and municipalities by mandate. I think local government's incredibly important. It's the government that's closest to the people. Being able to talk to your township supervisor or your county commissioner is far easier than trying to get an appointment with your, you know, a lot of times with your state senator or your, your congressman. So I think it's, it's incredibly important to preserve this ideal of local governance that's closest to the people. And when it comes to the, the building code problem or things that are limiting businesses, yeah, we address those on a state level. But I think just trying to consolidate townships and municipalities is not the, the yeah, best and way And I'd just to like it. to be clear. I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating the state mandate townships. I, I would like to see collaborative effort. That's the only way it would work. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We have the Republican candidates for the state Senate in the 15th District today, John DeSanto and Andrew Lewis. The 15th District includes part of Dauphin County and all of Perry County. You know, just quickly want to ask this question because this is something that uh, when the district boundaries were redrawn, uh, this district is unique in that you have the city of Harrisburg, Mm -hmm. you have uh, most of Dauphin County, but then you have all of Perry County. So uh, if one of you is elected, you would be representing a very rural area as well as an urban area, including the, the state capital. How do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. It's a very geographically broad and culturally diverse district. And as somebody who grew up in Perry County, um, who runs a business in Outer Dauphin, who's been active in the Harrisburg Chamber for years now, um, and has been stationed in a number of locations throughout the country and around the world in the military, I look forward to bringing my diverse upbringing to bear by representing this constituency um, and advocating for the needs of all the constituents of this district. Uh, I look forward to working with Harrisburg leaders to to make sure we bring up the outcomes of public schools. I look forward to working with the commissioners in Perry County to economically develop Perry County and ensure that we can invest in the agricultural industry there and have self-sustaining economic growth. I look forward to working in Outer Dauphin to make sure that our industries thrive. Ultimately, this is a regional um, issue where we need to revitalize this entire region. Central Pennsylvania really has the potential to lead the state, and the state has the potential to lead the country. Because when you look at you know, our potential as a state, geographically, we're the center of the East Coast. We have a numerous competitive advantages over other states for interstate commerce and trade. And we should really be leading economically. Right now, we rank 49th in job growth. Um, every 12 and a half minutes, somebody else moves out of Pennsylvania. We rank 48th. And population growth. These are serious problems. And on the central 
Pennsylvania level where, where this district is. It's very key to revitalize this district, revitalize this area, and bring people and businesses back to central Pennsylvania. John DeSanto, what about that urban uh, You know, I don't, I don't think it, it's really that difficult. I think it's just representative of Pennsylvania at large. You know, we have industrial cities, urban areas, and, you know, rural areas. And I think that the real issue is uh, we have to make Pennsylvania business friendly. We have to lessen regulation. We have to restructure our tax rate. There are many opportunities in agriculture that are not being exploited uh, in the state. You know, there's uh, going to be a war by the state government with the Chesapeake Bay Initiative. You know, it's going to be a leash against farmers. And I've been up in Perry County talking to a lot of people. Um, uh, the Chesapeake Bay Initiative has affected the business community on the construction side for a number of years, but now it's expanding with government agencies out into areas, uh, agriculture, with pushing back areas that you're allowed to plant 150 feet from streams, talking about going to 300 feet, you know, what types of fertilizers and so on. And it's going to impact people's ability to uh, really continue their livelihood that they've been doing for generations. I have a lot of experience in farming and construction, and, you know, I'm going to bring all that. I think I'm completely suited to representing this district because I've operated in both sides. But the, the reasons, now you're, you're talking about the construction industry and farmers, but the reasons behind the regulations is that the bay, the Susquehanna River, is cleaned up. What about the environment? Well, Obviously, I'm not anti-environment. I mean, well, I don't know anybody. Is. <laughs> yeah, nobody is. But I think that you know, there's ways to address the environmental issues in a more cost-effective way, as opposed to just throwing regulation regulations on. You know, for the last ten years, all the sewer systems, sewer plants have been rebuilt all along the Susquehanna River. Spent hundreds and hundreds, if not billions, of dollars on that, and affected about ten percent of the problem. But it was a politically attractive target, and everybody said, oh, we're addressing the bay, and it's not the issue at all. And as a businessman who understands those issues, I intend to go to the Senate, and I'm absolutely supportive of the environment, but there has to be a cost-effective way of achieving these things. All right, well, let me ask you, what specifically, as a senator, would you do that uh, helps to clean up Pennsylvania's environment or to maintain what we have now? Well, I think that... Um, you know, there's a number of issues that you can do on the construction side. I think we've gone far enough in uh, real estate development and so on with infiltration beds and the stormwater detention beds and so on and things like that. You know, you're looking at... Um, you know, these non-idle-free uh, policies, you know, with trucks and cars where they're not supposed to be idling, those are all good things. They all don't uh, cost you anything. You know, there's timber management in place where we can, you know, effectively harvest timber in a, a, a environmentally friendly way and efficient and make money because there has to, at the end of the day, you have to make profit. So I think we have done a good job in going as far as we have to, but getting back to the farming issue, I think taking land out of tillable acreage is not the answer for the Chesapeake Bay. Andrew? Yeah, protecting the environment's key, but when you have the Chesapeake Bay Initiative resulting in farmers in Perry County unable to spread fertilizer in their field... In, unless it's in a location that they were told they could do it. I think that's classic example of government overreach. That's when you've gotten far out of hand. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to, part, we need to make sure DEP is doing a good job. We need to make sure that, but at the end of the day, 
EPA has been just far overreaching. And I think, honestly, they've overreached even into DEP, and they've put pressure on DEP to be far more onerous with these regulations. That's why if you go to, to my website, voteandrewlewis.com, and read our policy blueprint, I've introduced what... And it's gaining some traction on the federal level, which is the RAINS Act, the Regulation from Executive in Need of Scrutiny Act, which on a federal level, if an executive branch, an executive agency such as the EPA imposes a regulation that has an economic impact as scored by the Congressional Budget Office of about, I think it's $100 million or more, then the, the Congress has to approve it. And I think we need to introduce something very similar on the state level, where if IFO, the Independent Fiscal Office, scores it as having a certain economic impact, that the legislature has to approve it. So we give a voice back to the people. So if there are onerous regulations coming down the pike that are going to inhibit job growth, the people are out there looking for jobs, we rank 49th in job growth, it's hurting farmers, it's hurting families, well, guess what? The legislature is going to have to approve it, so there's some accountability. All right. This is obviously a debate. It's a, a different kind of format in that uh, it's a conversational debate. Sure. But uh, what I've heard so far and what I know about the, both of your backgrounds is that you're very similar on issues. So what I want to do is find out where you're different. Um, Andrew Lewis, I'll start with you. Uh, why should uh, the voters of the 15th district vote for you over John DeSanto? Well, I look forward to bringing a voice back to the people. Um, I'm somebody who wants to bring a fresh perspective to the legislature. Uh, having led in the military and being able to build coalitions and reach across boundaries to actually bring people together and accomplish objectives, I think I'm going to be an effective legislator, an effective advocate for the constitutional principles that we hold sacred. Um, I'm a tireless advocate for free enterprise, for individual liberties, for constitutionally limited government. And uh, and, and my, my policy positions have been the same from day one. I haven't changed any any of my stances on issues. Um, I think John and I differ on term limits. I'm a term limits guy. I believe that we need to initiate an amendment that, that would limit the, the terms of our, uh, of our legislators. Um, and as somebody who's just walked in the shoes of everyday Pennsylvanians and brings that perspective to the Senate, I believe that I'm going to be a, a solid advocate for the ideals that we all share. So term limits is the only thing you can find that where you and John dis there are, disagree? I mean, there are a number of issues. I think we've had disagreements on, I want to see the reintroduce the idea of privatizing the turnpike as a, as a new idea to bring in revenue. Um, I know we've differed on legalization of marijuana has been one area um, where I don't want to legalize it for recreational use. I know in, in the last debate, John said he did. Uh, there's been a number of, of issues, but I think a lot of this is style, where I'm actually going to go in, build coalitions, build teams, accomplish the mission. And I realize that in order to get anything done in the Senate, you have to usher a bill through the legislative process. You need to work with other people and get it done. And I believe that my record as somebody who's built teams in the military and led them, who's running a small business in central Pennsylvania, that I bring that perspective and ability to get things done in the legislature. You, you think you're better equipped to do that than John? I do. I think that my experiences are more aligned. I mean, I've, I've worked in, I've built teams, I've developed policy in the military. I ran a counterintelligence detachment in South Korea at the age of 23. I was a special agent in charge after being there for a year. Um, I developed our anti-terror, basically, mission, which was a nexus to the counterintelligence mission. Um, and I've, I've served and in, in led in combat. And these are things, the, you, built, you developed skills, you developed skills in these situations where you learn to pull teams together and work under a high degree of stress and actually lead and make decisions of high consequence so you and think, get the uh, job done. You, you think combat's a good prerequisite for going to Harrisburg? I, I wouldn't, I'm joking somewhat. I wouldn't say prerequisite. <laughs> I'd say it's a good, a good preparation. John, your turn now. Why are you a better candidate than Andrew? 
Well, I think my 35 years of business experience uh, qualifies me eminently for this. You know, Andrew talks about his military experience, and, you know, I understand that, and I thank him for that. But operating in a chain of command is completely different of operating in an area where you have to develop coalitions and you don't have the ability to um, order people to do things. Um, I've engaged government at all levels throughout my career, the federal government, the state government, local government, in good ways and in areas where I had to defend myself legally to preserve my rights. And I think that that experience is completely different. Uh, you know, Andrew constantly represents himself as a businessman. Uh, you know, he's been out of the military for a year, plus or minus, and I know his family's in the, in the uh, drywall business. And, um, you know, but I... Don't, I question his representation as, as a business leader in the community. I think that uh, with time and experience, he'll get there, but I don't think that qualifies him. Um, if, you know, <clears throat> the you know legalization of marijuana, I've clarified that. All right, well, let's, yeah, let's get that out of the okay. way right now, because at one of the forums that you had, you said that you supported the legalization of marijuana, but then afterwards... Yeah, I've heard you, it you from a back. lot of constituents, and, you know, I believe I'm trying to focus on the um, medical marijuana issue right now. And, and I th you support that? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and I think that um, my... What I was trying to get across there is there's a number of people who really got tied up on issues, you know, zero drug policy, zero tolerance drug policies, getting kicked out of school, not being able to go to different events because they have this strike against them. And I don't think that's helpful. You know, I think that, um, you know, losing your license over a marijuana possession doesn't help you. How can you get to work? How can you get around, do things like that? So I want to see it decriminalized and, you know, take that where I'm not talking about any kind of, you know, this issue's been blown up into, you know, John DeSanto's, you know, for all this and that. It's just not true. I think the real issue is the prescription of opiate drugs leading to heroin abuse. And, you know, the gateway drug, in my mind, is alcohol. You know, that's where people start using their drugs. Andrew, you're chomping yeah. up a bit. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I th honestly, and, and this this has been blown so far out of proportion. And both John and I are focused on economic growth, on building the economy. I think it's important when you do take a position. I mean, voters are tired of seeing politicians who flip-flop on issues within a matter of hours. We do need to be know where we stand and we need to stick to our guns. And I think that's important. It's something voters miss about people running for office. But if I can just address um, some of the, the, the comments about my business experience. So just to give you a quick uh, history in the life of uh, Andrew Lewis here. Um, I, I, I love the fact that I grew up in a small business home. My dad was and continues to finish drywall. And uh, growing up, uh, I realized and recognized firsthand the challenges faced by small business owners as I watched dad start his own family business. And then my brothers and I, when, when I was 18, we used to drive around in an old pickup truck finishing drywall across Perry County. It's how I saved up for my first car, which was a uh, Volkswagen Jetta, which I paid $1,500 for. And these are that, that was my first job before joining the Army. And I get it. I, I stepped away from business for, for 10 years to, to be in the military, and, and I'm guilty as charged there. But when I came back, and even in the military, I was helping Ben solve 
result, my brother Ben, who owns the company, along with the, my other brothers and partners, we were solving business problems. I used to take leave while I was stationed in D.C. and come up to Pennsylvania, and we would solve marketing issues, we would solve hiring issues, finance problems, and we would hash these things out. And uh, and now I'm excited to be back in the business, running business development, having innovated our our business plan. We employ 20 people. We're a very fast, rapidly growing construction company. And if that doesn't, and I have an MBA from Temple University, if yeah, that doesn't qualify, great, oh, John, you know, if I can just finish uh, my statement, I've here. spent 35 years. If that doesn't qualify as leading a business, yeah. then I just want to know how we're going to represent businesses because small businesses are important. All right, go ahead, look, John. I worked all summers through school and everything else. I spent 35 years here, built a company. It's a multi-state operation over 130 employees, put peoples in homes, brought businesses to the area. It, it's, you know, it's not a, it's a valid comparison, but I don't think it's an equal right. comparison. John DeSanto, as I said, we, we want to show some differences between the two of you. If you had an opportunity, you have an opportunity right now to ask Andrew Lewis a question. What would you ask Lewis? Andrew. I think I have a pretty good handle on Andrew. I just, I guess. There's I nothing guess you want, want to know about him? Well, I guess you do not support the repeal of property taxes. Is that correct? I support ending property taxes, but we need to work toward it in a step-by-step way. The first thing we need to do is reform the pension process. The pension program right now is driving property taxes up. You look at West Perry School District. In the school district, yeah. Sure. Yeah, and it's a problem. And I think what we need to do is, on a state level, as senators, approach this very systematically and first address the state mandates that are driving these administrative costs up, which in turn are driving tax rates up. And then we need to start reforming property tax rates. And I'm glad John brought this up, if I could really briefly talk about one of my proposals, which is for seniors that have retired, I think we should have a property tax rebate in place that even if the values of their homes go up, they don't have to pay an additional tax rate because they're living on a fixed income, they're living on retirement and, and their, so, their savings, and I think that their property taxes shouldn't go up. And this is an important first step in, in starting to repeal or reform and then eliminate property taxes. Right, but there's always... There's always, uh, you know, something that happens when you when something like that you do something like that. Right. Somebody else pays. If senior citizens, and I think most people would agree with you, the senior citizens shouldn't lose their homes. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they're on fixed incomes. But right. who pays? Somebody else is going to have to pay. Well, let's talk about all the. Wasteful spending in Harrisburg. We spend $700 million a year on corporate welfare programs. We spend $250 million a year on a horse racing subsidy, $60 million a year on a film tax credit subsidy. We spend just a a ton of money. There are places to cut without penalizing our seniors. When I think of seniors who are about to retire and go on to a fixed income, I think of my parents. I think of the numerous voters I've met who are senior citizens who are concerned that they're continuing to have to spend more in property taxes. All right, let me stop for just a second because I want to go on to some of those the issues you just brought up, but I want John to be able to respond okay. to that too. John, what do you support as far as property taxes? Well, I've met a lot of people knocking on doors, senior citizens, especially in the wintertime, lots of times taking care of a sick spouse, heat down, fixed income, very little retirement, paying thousands of dollars in taxes. Those taxes need to go away for senior citizens. That Elimination, you're yeah, talking Yeah, have to be eliminated. Just senior citizens or everyone? Oh, I think you, you just can't target certain individuals that have to be eliminate property yeah. taxes. I don't think it's constitutional you know, either. Yeah. Um, you know, 
cost savings is going to get you part of it. That revenue has to be replaced someplace. And, uh, you know, I think a broad-based sales tax may be an answer, you know, incrementally. And I think it's fair because if you're in a position where you're spending more, you're buying more, you're paying more. And if you're of lesser means and you don't buy as much, you don't pay as much. What so, rate? Do you have a rate in mind? Uh, you know, I'm trying to come up with that rate right now. There's just, you know, it's a lot of numbers. Um no, I don't have an. Uh, Would you expand? I mean, one of the proposals out there is uh, taxing some items that are now uh, not taxed uh, on the sales tax, subject to the sales tax. Well, I think you have to look at everything, you know, holistically. But, you know, one of the reasons I uh, decided to run for the Senate is my mom has Parkinson's and she's 84, doing very bad with it. And we have in home health care for her. The families come together, it's very expensive. And when Wolf said, he wanted to start taxing in-home health care and start taxing funerals on people. I just that just floored me. There's got to be some reasonable rationale on basis, but taxing people after they've lived their life, worked, paid taxes, and all their life, taxing them when they need help and going in into a funeral is just horrible. Andrew Lewis just mentioned a couple areas where he would cut. John, you also said you would cut spending. Yeah, I think name me a few areas that you would cut. You know, I think it's across the board, and and that's the problem with government. You know, I have um, been involved in a number of businesses, and uh, I'll give you an example. I was an origi- originator of the Greystone Bank franchise. You may remember that a bunch of guys got together. We bought Tower Financial and down to Chambersburg area and another bank in um, Philadelphia, First Chester National. Turned that into a $2.6 billion company from a bunch of guys in Harrisburg trying to get together. And then the financial crisis came along and Dodd-Frank and all these things. You know, we were in a growth business and we had to control costs. And we cut our cost across the board. And when you talk to the marketing people, oh, we can't do that. We need to sell. You know, the, the counting people, oh, we got to account for money. No, we need to cut across the board. That's the only way you're going to control government and let those various departments figure out how they're going to save their money. I'm not talking about firing people, but you can't tell me that there's not inefficiencies in government across the board at all levels that can be driven out. The only way to do that is not give them money, and they'll figure it out. I think the state employees are generally good people and be smart if they're empowered. Andrew if Lewis. I can just respond to a few things. Um, first of all, I'm committed to working toward ending property taxes. I mean, at the end of the day, we live in the United States of America, where life, liberty, and property are sacred. And so protecting property rights so homeowners can actually own their home and not have to basically rent it, quasi-rent it from the government, I think is imperative. We're going to do it in a smart way. We're going to start to drive down the the spending that is driving so much of these taxes up so we can actually end property taxes without resulting in like a 20 to 30 percent sales tax rate. Uh, with respect to across-the-board cuts... Wait, 20 to 30 percent sales well, tax? Well, I've, I've seen uh, plans where if you were to completely shut down all property taxes right now and shift it to a sales tax rate, you would see the sales tax start to skyrocket. My point is, with the le- well, well, if you look at how far property taxes are going up every single year right now, you look at that, whereas West Perry, 10 years ago, we paid 5%. Now we're paying 32% into PCERS. That's a problem. That is just astronomical increases. So we need to drive down these, these spending problems in Harrisburg, and then immediately begin to address and work toward eliminating property taxes. And I look forward to working with just uh, an array of people on this. Now, if I can quickly talk about across-the-board cuts. Um, 
we need to drastically reduce the size of government. Because if you look at our structural deficit, over the next five years, we're projected to, our revenue is going to increase by 19%, but our spending is increasing by 29%. So we have about a $4.5 billion deficit structurally. So the problem is we absolutely have to rein in our spending, but you can't take the lazy way out and just say, oh, across the board, we'll cut it by 10% or 5% or whatever John's proposing, because what about the National Guard? I drill at Fort Indian Town Gap every month, and these guys are barely making it by. We have people that can't go to training right now. What about the state police force, where we need to recruit and train new, new cops? I'm looking at, you actually, when you're a legislator, you actually have to put your thinking cap on, and you actually have to address these things in a very detailed fashion, and actually look at where the best place is to cut. And that's why I'm saying corporate welfare, $700 million, we need to take a look at that. We need to reform the pension system. We need to take a look at structural reforms to actually bring down spending in a smart way, not just take the lazy way out and say across the board cuts. This is not a company. It's not, it's the, the, government. Lazy, it's not the lazy way out. It's the way things get done. And you, you have to have the you know, the ability and the drive and the willingness to ask questions and run through walls. Yeah. Look, I support the state police. I support the National Guard. You know, helping the state by police by taking $750 million out of the transportation bill to pay the state police is ridiculous. That's not— What you're talking about is money that came from the transportation fund because there are so many municipalities here in Pennsylvania that uh, don't have their own police department. Yeah, but my point is, as a business leader, you don't—and you could not operate your business— doing things like that. It's the same thing with the Pennsylvania Turnpike, taking $750 million a year out of there to fund mass transit down in Philadelphia. You know, there's there, there's always the political component of this. I get it's government, but we need business leaders that aren't afraid to have these discussions and work hard to resolve the problems truthfully. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The Republican candidates for the state Senate in the 15th District, John DeSanto and Andrew Lewis, are our guests today. The 15th District includes part of Dauphin County and all of Perry County. We're going to try to hit on as many issues as we can here in the last few minutes. Uh, John DeSanto, I'll start with you on this one. Is there any occasion you could foresee where you would vote for a tax increase? And I'm talking about the Marcellus Shale, um, sales, anything. You know, that's almost a trick question, Scott, because, uh, you know, it's hard to say you'd never uh, vote for a tax increase ever under any circumstances. Who's know what the future is? But I am not supporting any tax increase at all in the state of Pennsylvania. Marcel Shale? Absolutely not. I mean, we're in a war with Saudi Arabia right now on a geopolitical level, and they're trying to drive our fracking businesses not only in Pennsylvania, but across the country out of business. And this is not the time to start taxing that industry. Andrew? But anyway, if I could just finish. I mean, um, I would definitely focus on we have to cut costs before, and I mean meaningful costs, cutting and government reduction before I would ever even consider a tax increase. Andrew Lewis? Okay, so first of all, no, I would not support tax increases. Right now, Pennsylvania has some of the highest taxes in the country. Families are struggling. Our personal income tax rate is not competitive. We have the second highest corporate net income tax rate in the country. And I want to actually see meaningful cuts to spending 
and, and and so no, I'm not in support of tax increases. Just a really quick kind of uh, respond to what some of the things John was saying about running the the government like a business and running through brick walls or whatever he was saying. The fact is, Tom Wolf came in with this approach of trying to run things like a business, and business experience is key, which is why I'm I'm excited to be running as a business leader. And John has accomplished great things in business as well. But the fact is, you have to actually go in and govern, and you have to work with people. And Tom Wolf has demonstrated why this attitude of just draconian um, mandates and running through walls doesn't work. We have a toxic environment in Harrisburg, and what you have to have is leadership, bring people together, and actually get things done. Pennsylvania is a transportation hub, uh, connecting residents and businesses alike with uh, routes for planes, trains, and automobiles, our region especially. What's your opinion on how to fund and maintain our transportation infrastructure? Infrastructure is a real problem. We hear about infrastructure breaking down all the time. We had a law passed a few years ago that is providing money for transportation infrastructure. But as we also pointed out, a lot of that money is going towards state police coverage. So, Andrew Lewis, let me start with you. How do we fund infrastructure, transportation especially? Well, first of all, Pennsylvania spends more per mile of road than most other states. And if you come over across the border from Maryland or other states, you're going to immediately see a difference in our roads. We have, we're, we're struggling on the transportation front as far as making sure that our roads are well maintained. Uh, one of the initiatives that I proposed is to relook at privatizing the turnpike during the Rendell administration. And this, and this isn't going to take care of the entire problem, but it's one step. Um, during the governor and Rendell administration, there was a deal on the table, I think, it was Citigroup that made the bid, uh, would have brought in $1.1 billion a year in revenue um, by privatizing basically the turnpike. And how this would work is it would have been better maintained. We would have been able to cap tolls, which right now we don't have control over because tolls continue to go up. And uh, it would have brought revenue into the state. So I think what you need is innovative solutions. I want to see a bipartisan task force that identifies where we can make cuts, where we can, you know, just better spend our money um, to make sure we get the best outcome. But the first step would be looking again at privatizing the turnpike. John DeSanto? I think that, uh, you know, we differ on here. I don't think we should privatize the turnpike. I think that, you know, we can drive cost savings out. I think a big uh, option within this is the paycheck protection. I think that... um, you know, we need to get as much efficiency out of state government as we can. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to privatize. Uh, you know, snow plowing is one that comes up. Why is PennDOT involved in snow plowing? And I know why, because private companies have unlimited liability where the state, with their sovereign immunity, caps it at 250000 So if a PennDOT plow truck hits a car, it, their only uh, obligation is grand. If a private contractor can do it quicker, cheaper, and as good... They have unlimited liability. You could end up in court. So there's many areas that we can drive funding out that we could then have the money to do the infrastructure. If you could sit down, and John DeSanto, I'll start with you. If you could sit down with Governor Wolf one-on-one, off the record, what recommendations would you make for governing? Well... I think it's real simple. I don't think I'd get anywhere, first of all, because he has a very different perspective. But uh, I think we have to really look at paycheck protection. We have to look at, you know, uh, funding mandates. We have to look at reducing costs. And we have to look at truthfully addressing the pension crisis. And, I mean, he has, you know, demonstrated he's not willing to do any of that stuff until he was just 
absolutely backed in the wall. So I would talk to him about all those things, different ideas, and hope I, hopefully I could make some inroads with him. Andrew Lewis? I would say, Governor Wolf, you're not going to get your tax increase. Stop. Just stop trying. He just, <clears throat> this new budget that's now been proposed, he's again demanding this these draconian increases in taxation and even retroactively raising taxes. So you're going to raise taxes on a paycheck I've already received. This is just nonsense. And I would tell Tom, your Governor Wolf, look, you're not going to get the tax increases. You need to stop. You need to compromise. You're going to need to come together with the majority leader of the Senate, the Speaker of the House. You're actually going to need to forge through and govern responsibly, which in this climate means compromising and going along with a reasonable budget that balances without raising taxes. But when you say compromising, you started off by saying, Governor, you're not going to get these tax increases. That doesn't sound like a good place for, for well, compromise. We have this, some of the highest tax rates in the country. The legislature has compromised numerous times on this. And what I'm telling him is you're not going to get these tax increases. The fact is you can get some funding you want. Um, Senate Bill 1 came through with the legislature passed three different budgets. Um, and each time they've given Governor Wolf some more of what he's asked for. The legislature has compromised. Governor Wolf has refused to, to compromise, taken a hardline stance. And so the fact is you're not going to get these tax increases. We can compromise on other issues. You're not going to get the tax increases. Yeah, well, I've not met one. I've met one person on all the doors that I've knocked on that thinks we need to pay more taxes. And I mean, you just cannot compromise on that. We only have a few minutes left. I'm going to make sure that you have the opportunity for a closing statement. We haven't really touched on a lot of social issues, but I want to go to one right now. There are a number of states right now, North Carolina has gotten the most attention, that uh, have passed what have been referred to as freedom of religion laws, where there are businesses that could refuse to uh, serve, for example, LGBT couples or individuals. Uh, Governor Wolf has said that he wants he wants to push anti-discrimination laws here in Pennsylvania for the LGBT community. John DeSanto, let me start with you. Where do you stand on this issue? You know, I think it's fundamentally unfair. I, I, I don't support discrimination in anybody's uh, life. And I'm of the vein that, you know, you are entitled to do whatever you want to do as long as it's legal and you're not hurting other people. But I think that, you know, if you're a person of faith and you're practicing your religion, uh, you are under the gun right now. Somehow you're a bad person and what you're doing is wrong. And I think that people should, you know, have the right to not be forced to participate in activities that they find morally objectionable. All right, I'm going to have to stop you there because no, I want to give Andrew an opportunity and give you uh, each a closing statement opportunity. Right. Yeah, ahead. well, I think a lot of the federal non-discrimination laws already cover a lot of this. What I want to focus on is economic growth right now. Um, at the end of the day, we, we can't be discriminating against anybody based on their lifestyle. Uh, it's imperative that we uphold this notion of all men being created equal, endowed by their creator with unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, so whoever you, you, you would are. you would oppose a North Carolina-type law, is that what you're saying? I have not read the North Carolina law, but what I will say is what we need to do, we need to protect religious liberties, but at this point, I don't, I don't see the need for additional state legislation right now on this issue. What we need to focus on is economic growth. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, we'll give each of you 60 seconds for a closing statement. 
And uh, Heather Woolridge, who is producing the program today, is going to time you and cut us off at 60 seconds. Andrew Lewis, I want to start with you. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to debate the issues. I want to thank John, thank you, Scott, and thank the Chamber as well, and WITF, for hosting this. Uh, I look forward to serving in the Senate and bringing a voice back to the people, preserving timeless constitutional values of free enterprise, individual liberties, constitutionally limited government, translating those ideals into state policies that are going to work for Pennsylvania families across the 15th district. I am asking for your vote on April 26 in the in the primary, and I would invite you to go to voteandrewlewis.com and read my policy blueprint. Send me a message. I'll reply to you personally. I want to bring a voice back to the people and bring the concept of government of, for, and by the people back to state government. Thank you. Okay. John DeSanto? Yeah, I'd like to thank uh, everybody for pulling the debate together. I'd like to thank the listeners for listening, and especially your program, Scott. I listen to it, you know, when I have time. But uh, it's important for people to be engaged, and I'm encouraging people to be engaged. I'm just emphasizing my 35 years of business experience. Uh, I promote limited government and self-determination. That's what I'm about, and I could talk on about that. That's what my campaign's about. It's being inclusive. I encourage you to vote for John DeSanto on April 26th, and you can go to my webpage and get all the information you need about me, and uh, cell phone and emails are up there. So thank what, you. What is your website? Uh, it's DeSantoForSenate.com. Okay, and we yeah. probably will put some, uh, let's say probably, we will. How about we put some links, Heather, uh, on our website, WITF.org. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. We did this in a civil manner, and I uh, appreciate right. that, and we covered a lot of issues, a lot more to cover, but so I do encourage uh, the, the voters of the 15th District to go to your websites and learn more about uh, your policy right. position. Thank you, Scott. Thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah. WITF's uh, Election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Firm of Saul Ewing LLP. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, talk a little bit about climate change and the American Lung Association talking about the, the health impact of a, a changing climate. That's coming up on tomorrow's program.